I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everyone. It's Raghu Marcus. I'm back with another Mind Rolling with my original co-host, David Silver, one of my besties from way back. So we had a great time. I'm going to tell you about it in a minute. I just want to talk about the new book that Love Serve Remember Foundation is putting out called Changing Lenses. And that's a book of Ram Dass's famous and rare stories from the decades of teaching that he's done. It's a wonderful book. Wonderful coffee table book, wonderful book just at night in bed to read a story out loud to each other, that kind of a thing. It's, uh, it's just uh, essency, essency Ramdas. And uh, you can go to uh, ramdas.org slash shop and you can get the book. And we also want to talk about Becoming Nobody, which is the movie that's coming out in September in theaters. And you will, there's a becomingnobody.com landing page that tells you everything about it. And you can see the trailer. But you know where we want you to go? We want you to go to our crowdfunder because we really need help to get this movie out there. We need support, financial support to buy ads and marketing, social media, all that kind of stuff. So could you go to propeller, P-R-O-P-E-L-L-E-R dot L-A slash becoming nobody? And there's wonderful rewards there. You can see the trailer there and lots of cool things to get involved with. You get points and out of the points, you get to win a trip to our December retreat with Ram Dass, Krishnas, Jack Cornfield, Trudy Goodman, and Robert Svoboda. So that's a, a nice incentive. 
and just helping out is even a nicer incentive. So please do go propeller.la slash becoming nobody. Now, Dave and I talked about Ramana Maharshi, a great saint from South India. And uh, Dave had a great story about one of his family members who Ramana grabbed, just pulled him right in. The guy was like, knew nothing from nothing, never been to India, none of that stuff. Uh, fabulous story. And, uh, and we, uh, there's different things that R- Ramana uh, represents. You can say it Ramana Maharshi or Ramana Maharshi. Uh, you know, particularly about self-inquiry, which is a fantastic method of getting to know oneself a little bit better. So we talked about that. We also talked about um, uh, this Shanti Deva thing that Miles that we took from Miles's book, and uh, that has some terrific stuff in there. And another great story from Dave about he was giving a talk somewhere, and, and a Republican senator came up to him from. Uh, Oklahoma, fabulous. I'm not going to give it away. Okay, I wouldn't do that today, but yeah, it's really great, really great. So uh, yeah, another great episode. I mean, everything that uh, I mean for me, everything we do, Dave and I, is is really. I think it's terrific, but it's very subjective. But uh, I love Dave, so enjoy this episode of Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network dot com see you later hey it's mind rolling again and david is here today welcome david i say david because it doesn't need a last name because you are so enormously loved by mind rolling <laughs> audience david silver hi dave uh, hi Raghu. that's um you know i love you know um attitudinal hyperbole because even though it's a lie it makes you feel better momentarily of course 20 minutes later it might disappear no it's not a lie though for sure for sure because it's just okay it's not a lie it's just a a floating factor in 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 being in nothingness floating factor okay (laughs) this will lead us to our subject try to segue in yeah yeah no it's good um how about, can we call this, though? I love Floating Factor. Okay, we're going to call this podcast Floating Factor. Let's see what kind of graphic they can come up with with that. Uh, yeah, no, we started to, uh, it was about some really great stuff that we got around Ramana Maharshi, the great, great saint seer from Arunachala in South India, Tiruvannamalai. People go there to this day. There's a big Western enclave there. And Westerners did uh, interact and had darshan of uh, Sri Ramana. And so he is very, very well known in the West. Everyone should check it out. Check him out. Who am I? It's uh, a non-dual approach to becoming free, uh, except that he was highly devotional. So it's it's interesting. So this thing was about... um, anger and we just went through some angry stuff now didn't we dave yes we did because in order to do this podcast uh the sound on my microphone wasn't working then it was then it wasn't then it was and it wasn't and in between that there was a lot of um language yes inappropriate language i have to say and then 
but at least you didn't take the microphone, go to your balcony, and throw it in the Hudson River. That was good. I didn't, but I was tempted. <laughs> I was very tempted. Yeah, actually. I know. I know. All right. Well, wait a minute now. You have a. Uh, you started to tell me the other day when we brought up uh, Sri Ramana Maharshi uh, mm. about uh, something that happened in your family that you considered to be very, very unique. Yeah, I won't use his name because I tried to get him on the phone because I knew we were going to talk about this. I couldn't get him. Mm. Um, so I won't use his name, but uh, a close family member of mine, uh, someone who I really like, uh, who actually works for a living. Uh, you know... <laughs> He, he, um, he doesn't do podcasts. He doesn't listen to podcasts. He doesn't watch television. He doesn't answer his phone. Uh, he lives in, in, in the wild woods of New England and is a very happy man. However, um, recently we, we met, well, it's, it's actually quite, a, it was in December, right? So it was about four or five months ago. Hmm. I don't see him that often. And, um, we met because, uh, my, uh, my younger daughter was in the hospital for some treatment and he came as I did to, you know, for support. And we were talking as I usually, we usually do about, you know, we talk about, um, I mean, it's not like we talk about golf or something or the weather, but we don't usually talk about um, too specifically uh, spiritual subject matter. And out of the blue, he, <clears throat> he asked me, do you know who Ramana Maharshi is? Yeah. Uh, and I, I said, yes, I know who he is. Um, I, I never went to a Arunchal, and I, I, I never obviously had his actual in-the-body darshan, but I've read the books, and I've met people who are love him. And over the years, I've begun to understand that his very simple but extremely profound uh, way of talking about God was incredibly powerful. Anyway, my friend said to me, I just have suddenly become completely intoxicated by Ramana Maharshi. I'd never heard of him. I found a book somewhere behind another book. I looked at it. Who's this strange looking guy in a diaper? Um, <laughs> what is this? And started to read it. And within a very short time was absolutely focused on what he was saying. Who is the self? Who am I? Who is even speaking? Who is reading? The whole very, very, very one-pointed Ramana way of looking at things. And my friend was, or my friend, my family member was completely taken by this and is now reading through his entire books, thinks about him all the time, loves him, is is really become a chela or a, a remote chela of Ramana Maharshi out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, which which just goes to, not that, my, not that he is a, a, a non-spiritual person in the sense that he is very, very, very only interested in the you know the universe the impermanence of it all and what is it and why why are we in it and who are we so it wasn't completely off the wall mm. for him to be so taken by it so quickly without any prompting from me or anyone just shows how these things can just ignite if they if you're karmically ready and if the guru chooses to choose you mm. and it chose to choose him mm. and it ain't going away because I've spoken to him since, and he's just in love with Ramana. Mm. Wow, that's really fantastic. Yeah, it is. You know, it yeah. reminds me of uh, something I read recently. Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche went to uh, supervise, or whatever you would call it, the funeral of Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche, or the memorial by then, I'm not sure. 
No, I think the funeral. And he was asked different questions about, you know, Trumpa's body is gone, and now, you know, what? Where does it go? What? What are we talking about in reincarnation, and so on and so forth? And he said, and he used Karmapa, sixteenth, as an example. Beings like that, their only reason for being in a body, and repeatedly, their system being tulku, they they whatever it is that goes from one incarnation to another. They identified that thing. I call it that thing there because we don't know what to call it. There's no one to call it anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's just beyond the mind. So th- they identify it, and and there he is again. Seventeenth Karmapa is now existent. When I, you know, I've told the story a billion times, but when I met Seventeenth Karmapa. I had met Sixteenth, and I was blown away by that reality that I couldn't fathom in my head. It actually tripped me out for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So what he said, Dilgo Kinsey said. They only come back specifically for the people that, that are connected to them in that way. Just like this happened to your family member. Was, I mean, waiting, must have waited lifetimes or something or a good part of this lifetime before Ramana would reveal himself to him in that moment. And so... That's the beauty of this. Of course, these kind of beings don't need a body at all. And we've seen it with uh, Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji, of course, so often and so incredibly powerfully. So, yeah, so apparently they each, each one of these incredible beings has a, uh, a as Ramdas would call it, a soul pod that eventually finds them. And if they do in, in a physical body, great, but it doesn't, it isn't necessary. So that's uh, yeah. He was he is part of Ram- Ramana Maharshi's soul pod. Amazing. Yeah, uh, completely random as far as I was concerned. I mean, I do remember. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Is that you know Shirdi Sai Baba, the great um, Indian guru? Um, someone once questioned him about why he wouldn't let someone into his temple, his masjid. A bunch of people apparently came and they kept refusing them and he never let them in and it was not like there was some redeeming thing they did out that he could have let them in for or something and one of his devotees said to him you know baba i just don't understand this you're you know a great saint and these people need you they need your darshan minimally if not your advice you know? so why would you refuse them and he said because they're not really strictly speaking in my incarnation in my incarnational family really there were people there were, yes it's in the it's in the, the Sacharita. he says uh there, there i have a family of people that through my incarnations i come to every time it's very much like what you just said Ron. that i know they need me and these need me more than others who don't need me who weren't in that previous incarnation who i didn't teach or have a, any kind of transaction with and i know who they are and these people in this room right now are those and there were others out there that are not in the room, but there were others that won't be in the room. And he stopped there. And even when I read it, I thought, mm, well, you know, from my little titchy Western viewpoint, that seems kind of like, you know, prejudicial. But it's nothing to do with that. It's, How it's, so? Would it, well, uh, why wouldn't, you know, if, if, if someone goes and says, I really need to see you, Baba, and he says no, uh, on the surface that seems, well, that's a little, you know, you've got time, why not? And 
that's not the way it works. I mean, that's there is a there is a law here of of not only some kind of transmission or metempsychosis of the of the soul, but there is also uh, a set of parameters, if you like. It's, these are cold Western words for something that isn't about this, but you know, whereby there's only so many people you can come across. I mean, Ramana Maharshi himself said, did he not, that why does the asking the guru for a miracle or at least for it to help on some matter a childhood is ill a child is ill or something and it 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 didn't work and he compared himself to a lawyer and said well you know lawyers will take every case but they don't win every case ramana said <laughs> and, and what he meant was that i'm not destined to save that child uh-huh. i'm not i am ramana maharshi and i am capable of healing dynamics he didn't say this i'm saying it but it doesn't it just doesn't work forever if it did he'd just go okay 7.6 million people billion people rather all healed boom trump is an angel you know <laughs> ted is the best rock star you know food is available everywhere <laughs> nobody gets a cold nobody even thinks about cancer it doesn't that's not the yeah. way it's working out is it so obviously there are channels. So yeah. The political word now is lanes. I'm not in that lane. They say on CNN now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, You're not uh, in that guru lane then yeah, either. Right, right. Yeah. So you know, it's all a bit beyond comprehension. So how can we bring our narrow um, point of view to something which is the opposite of narrow? This story you told, though it it what it does is. Uh, it creates a trusting environment, mm. right? Right. This guy, out of nowhere, your family member, even though, of course, he wasn't like some kind of raving atheist or anything. He was open, obviously. And, but look what happened, you know, in midlife, right? He's middle-aged, I would suspect. Yeah, he's, yeah oh, yeah. I, 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 he's about, I would say, 60. Yeah, okay, that's a little you know. more, yeah. So for this to happen at this point in his life, the way that you're describing it, it's it's certainly another way in which trust can be cultivated. You hear a story like this and you go, okay, everyone, and Ramdas says this all, all the time, everybody has a guru. It's not necessary, as Maharaji said, to be on the physical plane. But everyone has that deep, inner you know they could call it intuition in in the beginning they until something manifests itself beyond uh that kind of a word so you get trust is engendered and people can go okay i am being taken care of okay i may not know exactly what that's about right now but the fact that i am aware of that is you know is 90 percent of the road because that changes everything so yeah uh so what we were talking about dave or one of the things that was really uh it's this whole thing about somebody was saying wow somebody was asking someone who had been with ramana maharshi's maharshi well was he kind to you as you've been to us he says right and and here's what this person said different people elicited different responses from him. In my case, he was always very kind and considerate, but you should not judge Ramana Maharshi by his behavior. 
If he got angry with people or ignored them, it was always for their own good. He was transmitting grace through his anger as well as through his kindness. That's a great statement, and we can personally attest to that hanging out with Maharaji. I mean, he did that all the time. Mm. And uh, uh, so I don't know that we ever really learned that lesson that well, that grace is transmitted in in many different ways, and it's not always actually pleasant. And, you know, usually when you meet a being like this, you, of course, you're sucked in by this unconditional love that you've never had in your life until that moment, you know, and then they start to work at the ego, at knocking down, you know, just cutting out, cutting under. And uh, and certainly anger is is uh, is one of the methods. I mean, right, Shirdi? He's right. I mean, Shirdi Baba, all those stories. Many, many stories of his of his outrageous behavior with some people, where he would, you know, yell at them or roll on the floor, or even worse, take his arms off his body. Uh, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, which you know, it's a famous story about him. But yeah, he. I guess you teach that person with that exquisitely, you know, sort of fermented, evolved karma with your, as a guru, with your overwhelming knowledge of the previous karmas and of where this person can go or can't go with you. And then you can make the judgment instantaneously as to how to treat that person. It's like a doctor, yeah. I think. I mean, we're, not, we're all different. We've all got different karmas. And, and there's no question about that. But we all know, as they say, you know, that we've all been everything. So, you know, every person we hate has been our mother at one point. And um, that's a pretty famous sort of yep. way of talking about this, you know, that somewhere in those trillions of karmas that we've gone through in order to get the precious human form. I mean, you know, I had a, a strange, a, a disturbing experience of karma today. Um, I, I went for my walk, it's a beautiful day. And I, I walk sort of through the woods, but occasionally I walk on the on the street next to there's no traffic, there's nothing, it goes way into the country. And everybody drives slowly there because all kinds of bumps in the road to make you do that. And because there are animals and children, you know, and that's the way it is. And then halfway through my walk, this car came towards me that I, I saw was a Maserati, a very unusual and expensive automobile. Instead of driving at the usual 30 miles an hour, which you drive on this country road, I'd say he was doing 75 to 80. And I was really upset because that's not what you do here. You can't. But it was a Maserati, which he probably paid $175,000 for. And because it's a, a lonely road, he decided to gun it where no one else ever does that. So I walk and then I walk back, obviously, home. And at the spot where I saw the Maserati, I saw a new bird that's come to this neighborhood this year alone. It's a bird with a beautiful blue stripe on its, the edge, back edge of its wings and a little blue on the body. It's not a blue jay. It's not a blue bird. It's just a, some kind of form of bird that uh, it's just come this year. How do you know that? Pardon? How do you know that it's just come? Now? Because I see the birds every year. Oh, it's your, your surmisal. Yeah, I see exactly what birds are. The robins come, the starlings come, crows come, whatever, but never these birds. And they came this year en masse. And what was clear to me was this bird did not know the rules. 
And the guy driving the Maserati did not know the rules. And he killed the bird. Because it was right where I saw him just before. It was at that spot, because there's a certain house that I recognized. And in my moment of anger, why is this lunatic driving at the speed? I, rec I remembered the house. And then when I saw the bird coming back, it was dead. Hmm. One of the new birds, beautiful young bird. Think of those two karmas there. They're both beings. They're both beings, the driver of the Mazar and the blue tip bird. One was destined to do what you would call, if you were not, if you were being judgmental, an evil act. The other one was just walking innocently across a road that he did not know, this particular bird. He did not know to walk across it even. Now, why did I bring it up? Because it upset me profoundly. I, I just did. I got angry at the guy, and I felt really bad for this little bird. You know, I stood over the bird, and I said some kind of caddish to it. Because <laughs> I knew it had been killed in the last 10 minutes, mm. because uh, 20 minutes, because of, of the way my walk goes backwards and forwards. <sighs> this is happening all the time everywhere. I'm not saying people are getting killed by fast-driving lunatics, but our karmas are interconnected, and if there is no compassion and no idea, no, no, no slight intuition about what is the nature of mind, then bad shit can happen those afflictions that lunatic driving that car had the affliction of thinking he could do this and that was just fine he could have killed me he missed me by two feet really oh yeah it's a narrow road i mean this is not a road you ever ever speed on huh. it was a brand new sports car and he was just gunning it. Huh. so you know we're all bumping against people all the time and getting angry and not getting angry and judging and not judging and being angry with someone for being angry with us and all that and of course, um, in one's meditations, particularly, it comes out, it, com it all comes out, um, that meditation is not about finding bliss, it's about finding yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, we can talk about mindfulness in the same way. It's not about doing shit better. It's about finding out who, who you really are. Um, and so, Dave, there was one... Uh, Swami that had been with Ramana Maharshi. Uh, his name is Anamalai Swami. And uh, so, yeah, we had some, a book that had conversations with him, with, I believe, mostly Westerners. And so the, the topic always came back to, okay, what are we dealing with, with quote-unquote mind? And how do we deal with it now and you and i've been talking and i've been talking to other people a lot about the way in which we are so uh, absolutely glued to our thoughts right because that creates ignorance when we have no idea of what reality is because it is such a closed circuit uh, view Everything is just self-reflective. Mm. So with that kind of uh, perspective, it is difficult to know anything at all through meditation <laughs> or anything. It doesn't matter. You know, so it's like starting point. So he said, if you can resist the impulse to claim, I like that word, claim each and every thought as your own, right? That's who you are you will come to a startling conclusion. You will discover that you are the consciousness in which the thoughts appear and disappear. You will discover that this thing called mind, 
only exists when thoughts are allowed to run free. And like the snake which appears in the rope, as the rope, you will discover the mind is only an illusion which appears through ignorance or misperception. And that's what I was saying, referencing when people go, what the hell should we bother with meditation for? You know, it's just, all I do is just have random thoughts running through my head for 10 minutes. Uh, That is why you do meditation, to focus to one point so that these thoughts are not allowed to run free. Not that they're not allowed. That's not a good word. But you are not following them. You are not sticking to them. Way, at least way less with that kind of practice. Uh, And he says, you want some experiential experience which will convince you that what I am saying is true. You can have that experience if you give up your lifelong habit of inventing an I which claims all thoughts as mine. Okay. <laughs> so that's a perfect description of what we're talking about. And and you know, and we're talking about getting a perspective and getting a some leverage over being at the mercy of, of, of this mind. And uh so uh, well, Ram- you know, sorry. No, no, just that Sri Ramana Maharshi, uh, his books and the books that were written about him are absolutely uh, phenomenal ways to rejigger your perspective, our perspective of, of that invention of the I. His, his methodology around, you know... I mean, people may not know the story, and and one should really get online and get the books and all that. But when he was 16, he just lay down. I'm not going to take one more breath till I find out what the hell this is about. Of course, he didn't say it that way. But he did lie down, and he was not going to move until he had an answer. And that when he had this all-night experience, finally, of the undivided self. No longer was the I that he had invented for himself, so to speak. It was non-existent anymore. And the kind of spacious awareness that happened for him in that moment uh, was a complete uh, realization. It's very strange for a being to come in like that. Usually they come in and it's, you know, they're babies and they're chasing after sadhus or something or they're running off into the forest. But he sat down or laid down when he was 16 and this experience happened. And so it was the investigation, who am I? And that's what he's famous for. You know, I read a, a quote this morning, which is sort of, somewhat relevant it's a carl jung quote and when you were just saying what you were saying about him not getting up jung wrote once solitude for me uh, is a fount of healing which makes my life worth living talking is often a torment for me and i need many days of silence to recover from the futility of words and I, i would replace that with thoughts futility of thoughts that you know when you meditate you're silent if it's that kind of if it's not you know a kirtan meditation or something but if it's if it's and what happens is the thoughts come and go but the word practice really means something here because you if you practice enough 
It's not that the thoughts don't come. They will come because of previous karmas and this karma and this bardo that you're in. But you, you become less and less attached to them. So as you practice, you become more aware that they are not you in the sense of the real self, but are results of afflictions as a result of not having yet released those afflictions. They still come, but you get better and better at going, ah, affliction, ah, affliction. I'm not going to, I'll let it go, and then I'm not going to get attached to it. And Minjur Rinpoche talks about, you know, say, let the self say hello to the, to the afflictions. Let the self just say, hi, afflictions. Nice you're coming through. Now just move on quietly. That Minjur Rinpoche really feels that you can gradually make them, fa make them fade. So even though they come, they don't last as long and they don't take over your entire meditation where you're thinking about, I can't afford to do that, that they keep asking me to do, or I really don't have time to do this. Why are they asking me to do And so blah, 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 and suddenly half an hour is gone. Whereas if you meditate all the time, because I know this because of my own, I was not a meditator for years and years and years and years. And just like Jung, I got tied up in my own words and my own thoughts and started meditating. I, I did get somewhat better at it. Uh, you know, you feel that. You can feel, as you put it, the spaciousness, allowing the thoughts and the intrusions and the manifestations of afflictions to come in, but you're not attached to them. And you don't give them much more love than, hi, as Minjur says, hello, <laughs> you again, uh, see you later, yeah. See you later. We should all be like Mingjur Rinpoche. <laughs> Jesus. True, but Did I mean, he is saying something that we can do. I mean, yeah. he's not oh, saying, yeah. you know, right? I mean, Absolutely. he's saying, you know, we can, we can practice enough so that these twirling, whirling, never-ending chains of anxiety and um, ego. And where did the ego come from? Why have we got this ego? Why aren't we just immediately connected? Because it's taken us billions of years and lifetimes, whatever, to come to the preciousness of a human birth. When we come to it, uh, you don't get rid of these things by just saying, I don't want to do them anymore. I'm not interested in thoughts anymore. You either lie down like Ramana until, they, until you've beaten the game or you spend your life gradually, gradually, gradually not allowing them to have dominion. They come. They raid, they raid you, but you just go, ah, thank you, hello, bye. Mm. And You're, it sounds stupid, but I think that's the only way you can do it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Mingjur Rinpoche, and of course, uh, just recently, actually with Krishnas, we talked to him from Kathmandu, Nepal, in a podcast that everybody, forget about me, Forget about KD. Forget about anything. Just and you should watch it because it was a a, a beautiful track. I couldn't believe how great the transmission was from Kathmandu. It was yeah. unbelievable, and wow. you just see this. It's sort of like seeing a pristine being. I mean, who who? There's no blemishes anywhere. I couldn't see any blemishes. There was just. Talk about sky of awareness. He definitively represented in a human sky of awareness and love at the same time. And it's uh, the book, by the way, uh, 
is uh, in love with the world, and it just came out. Mingjur, M-I-G-Y-U-R, Rinpoche. Uh, I would advise everybody to get that book. Dave, you would love that book. It, it was just just come just came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, and the way in which he. I'm saying all this, by the way, to prove that we are. There's hope for us. There really is hope <laughs> for us. Somebody who had that uh, spacious awareness, physically embodied, in the most loving way. So you could. It just informed emptiness and what uh, Bob calls empty. Uh, emptiness is the the womb of bliss, which sounds like completely. Opposite stuff, right? When because everyone thinks emptiness is nothingness, and he goes on about that. But Mingyur, Mingyur Rinpoche really exemplified this, and it was a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So anyhow, if you all get a chance, certainly do that. And uh, so another thing that Anamalai Swami said, which references what you were just talking about, Jesus, once in a blue moon, we might get a incarnation in a body and I myself was told by Kalorin Rinpoche that you the only way to become realized is is through having a body you don't become realized in any of the other planes of existence of which apparently there are many uh, and this is what uh, what he says about that he says somebody asked boy it must take many lifetimes of realization always seems to be an event in the distant future Right. You don't need hundreds of lives to realize yourself. In fact, you don't need any time at all. Your idea of time is one of the things that's holding you in bondage. That is an extraordinarily profound statement, no? Our idea of time is so full of shit. <laughs> we absolutely are, it's, it's part of the identity of that I, the me, 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 the story we tell ourselves, the way in which we operate in time. Uh, so I love that. That's one of the things that's holding us in bondage. Time is one of the properties of the mind. Liberation does not come after a period of time because there is no time in the true self. Liberation comes when you fully understand and experience there is no one who needs liberation. That understanding and that experience only arise when the mind and its inbuilt ideas of time cease to function. If you think about time and start to worry about how much longer it'll be before you realize the self, your attention will be on the mind and not on the self. So, and that's what happened to Ramana Maharshi. He laid hmm. down, there was no interest in time. He didn't, uh, okay, I'm just not going anywhere till I understand. And he, obviously, the karma of that moment came into fruition for him in that way. But uh, I love this thing. The, your idea of time is holding you in bondage. Because we're so entrapped in the body, and um, we've been conditioned to believe that the body has a finite, you know, yeah. time on the planet, so we automatically measure things by that. And, of course therein lies insanity actually if you take it because you, you know it could drive you crazy it can, it can it can make you crazy to think that okay I've, I've got a few years left and i'm nowhere near 
enlightenment or anything like enlightenment. You know, I can tell by the way I react to things or the way, you know, I can still get angry about Trump and then, oh God. No, I your microphone, you got angry at him, Mike. Did all right? Yep. Okay. You got angry at your microphone. Yeah, I got angry at my microphone. And we do get angry, but again, it is practice, isn't it? It's all rehearsal. I mean, musicians can't play great music unless they rehearse it all the time, and unless it becomes second nature, and then they want to make new music. So they have to rehearse that. And uh, practice is the word practice has sort of been slightly um, diminished, not diminished. It's been um, changed a little bit. So, well, this is my practice. I take it a lot simpler than that. I take it as being, I have to keep practice doing this. I have to keep practice. Like I read a lot of the Tulka Urgen Rinpoche, as I've said before. Yeah. And every time I read him, I have to struggle with it because I know that in the, the only reason I read him is because he speaks to me. I mean, it speaks to me. I really understand it when he talks about, you know, emptiness and, and cognitive emptiness is what is one of the ways he talks about it. And I sort of get that. I sort of get it. That there's emptiness, but there is a being that inhabits all of it. And it isn't a being that, um, uh, as, as Bill Maher talks about, you know, and others, you know, it's not a being that gets angry at people. It says, I will smite you. Do this or you're wrong. You have an abortion and you're going to jail. You, you attack that other tribe at the other end of Palestine and you're going to be damned forever. That's what's ruined the entire Western civilization <laughs> is this idea that there's this vengeful God out there somewhere when the vengeful God is within you and, and is what makes you angry and what makes you separate. So all of these Rinpoche's finally come, you know, to what you're saying, compassion and serving others is the practical tool to reach spaciousness. The, 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 the very, if you break down compassion, it is certainly not pity. It is not anything like that. It is actually knowing that you aren't separate. From the, not that you have to help someone. You are someone, you know, and at certain stages of your life, you realize that, you know. I mean, you do. You, you see someone and you, and you feel like you want to fight with them and then suddenly you love them. Why? Because you know you are them. And, and, it's, and time, is all of these things, these space-time Cartesian paradigms that we live by are... Uh, are very convenient and convenient, you know, that, you know, that plane leaves at 114, it gets into Bermuda at 415. Great, I'm going to the beach. I got to be at the, the airport two hours before. You need that in the kind of world we live in. You need that, I guess, but it ruins spaciousness, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you just mentioned something and you didn't even know I'd pick this up, but eventually you said you realize that you are no other than that person who is in front of you. You love them. And mm. so there's a real practice. Because, okay, so we're back to talking about, okay, how do we get out of this complete attachment to the I that we've manufactured into the we, which changes so much perspective, so much around relativity. You know, we get, more of the idea that's uh, we just had a, a retreat around emptiness and love in Maui with Ramdas and Krishnadas and Bob Thurman was there and Bob was you know he's really good at talking about this stuff and it was all about relativity everything understanding 
emptiness is understanding how we are totally connected to each other. And of course, emptiness meaning empty of that manufactured I. So there is a practice. So we go, okay, how do we get there is the next question. And so, of course, these Tibetans had the most wonderful sages and saints that ever lived. I mean, it's extraordinary. The work, that's all they did for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years mm. was study this shit. And that's why there is a Mingyur Rinpoche. By the way, Mingyur Rinpoche, who is the son of David's favorite one, uh, lamas, yeah. Tulku Urgian Rinpoche, the whole family is like knocked Choke. out. Yeah, yeah. Choki Nima. Um, yeah. They're all amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what kind of family is that? I mean, how do you... Anyhow, uh, so... <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. So, uh, one of these beings, and the I've heard him talked about a lot, uh, most especially when I've gone to see the Dalai Lama, uh, is Shanti Deva. Mm. And... So here's the, the, his methodology. It's called Shanti Deva's four-point exchange of self and other. That is the practice, the exchange of self and other. He says the first point is uh, um, is to equalize self. Now some of this stuff's a little arcane. So we're our job here is to try and bring it into our everyday existence. Um, and so the Dalai Lama often simplifies this thing of equalize self and other. Who better to do it than His Holiness? Uh, conveying that all human beings by nature want happiness do not, and do not want to suffer. Okay, that's a basic thing that everybody knows. Everyone knows that. Hmm. Maybe hmm. even... Maybe Trump doesn't know. I, I'm not sure about that. Well, you know, you, I mean, do you ever read David Hawkins stuff, you know? Yeah, he talks about the Luciferic thing that happens when you enter adulthood. There is that temptation to want power but not love, mm. and that and 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 what happens is you realize, oh yes, there is an all powerful, but screw that, I'm the one that's powerful, and once that traps you, maybe it could take many incarnations to to drive back because, for instance, with dictators and so forth, well, you think, don't we, don't they have any love and compassion for people? And the answer to that is it's abstract for them. It's like, yes, I love my wife, I love my dog, I love my house, I love it. But the other people either that I don't see, they're the other, and I'm not in, I don't give a damn. And I guess that what one has to do in those situations is, is understand that they're the sufferer, ultimately. It's a hard one there. I mean, were the Stormfuhrers and Gestapo who murdered millions of people the sufferers? Or were the people in the camps the sufferers? Uh, an impossible question to answer because there's a billion trillion determinate components of evolution for each individual that go to this moment, that go to this moment, even for the piece of dust on my desk or, or a, a little curl in my hair that I don't like and I'd like to cut off. That's all come from a trillion, billion, infinite years of development of not only organic matter, but inorganic matter. And so when it comes to judgment, that's you have to suspend the judgment in order to find compassion. And so, you know, even though Trump may be irredeemable within his own lane, he can't be irredeemable for us. 
because as soon as we shut him out, we are in fact doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And exactly that. Exactly. Yeah. So he's he's uh, he's the great working example, which is why Ramdas has him on his uh, altar and talks yeah. to him. Uh, so this is how we're all the same, all equal at a fundamental level. When you're thirsty, you want water. When you're in pain, you want relief. Everyone on the planet, every sentient creature is like you in these ways. They want to avoid suffering and secure happiness. Of course, in our culture, it's something, you know, it's all emphasized about our unique and different selves. Right? That's the emphasis on this, in, in, especially in the West. Highlighting the individual at the expense of the collective. And once we make a distinction between self and other, we, carry, we create group identification and exclusion. Right? This, this, is, this is what's going on in big time right now in America. That is why it's important to equalize self and other. And he says all the most important figures absolutely went through that and uh, and did that. Who? St. Teresa of Avila, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr. What was everyone of them saying? Same thing. We're all the same. We must live in peace, united as one. Right? That message. So, beneath, you know, beneath all this stuff, we are the same. And furthermore, um, if we can see both the ultimate and conventional levels of reality simultaneously, we'll be able to tolerate and resolve the dissonance between relative distinction and ultimate oneness and not collapse into either extreme. That statement is something we could sit for days and days in a retreat and repeat trying to understand what the depth of that uh, is. If we can see both the ultimate and conventional levels of reality simultaneously. That's uh, Ramdas talks about living on more than one plane of consciousness at the mm. same time. We can. Someone dies, we are going to live on the plane of consciousness of live through our grief. Mm. At the same time, there's an, a, another plane of consciousness. That person's work was done, even if they died young. and And now is moving on into their adventure and who they are because there is no time and space. That love that we held for each other is existent. It is not dying. So that's, to me, getting two levels uh, going at the same time. We'll be, he says, if you do that, we'll be able to tolerate and resolve the dissonance between relative distinction, the shit we walk around all day deciding you're this, I'm that, an ultimate oneness, and not collapse into either extreme. That's the toughest part of it, I mean, this statement. To me, it means you're not going to get lost in your individuality, and you're not going to get so lost in the one as to abdicate the bodhisattva within you, abdicate the, the compassion in action. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Yes, it does. And if you can see right here, there's a little tip of an ear of my cat. Mm. And um, she's lying down over there. And I use her sometimes as an analogy, you know, because sometimes she's a very um, difficult eater. 
She doesn't eat at specific times. She doesn't always eat when you put it there. She asks for it, then she doesn't eat it. And it can exasperate a human being because she can't communicate. But you, it, just as with a pet, you have to go much further than irritation even to have a pet. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that there is no way that you can act in an irritated manner with, with, uh, with a pet animal or with an animal. And what you're doing is you're actually going to their consciousness and seeing what they're capable of of grasping and what their urges are by dint of where they're at in the evolutionary chain. And then putting all that into a package and realizing, no, I'm going to get up right now and feed her, or I'm going to clean this, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going to do what she wants, because unless it's absolutely inconvenient. That's a very simple thing, but it's taken me a long time to, cats are very difficult in that way. Because you don't know what you, you just don't know what they're going to do. I mean, they're, they're very, very unpredictable and very, it seems to me, uh, quite willful that their karma is at a point where they're de- tamed versions of larger, fierce, carnivorous, dangerous uh, tigers, lions. Yeah. yeah. And, and here we have them in the house. And, and if they don't do what you want, when you want, you have to, so you quote, train them. Well, that's okay. You train yourself, too, to be in this crazy society we live in. Well, you train yourself to drive on highways with people who may be crazy, driving right next to you. Trump supporters everywhere on the highway. <laughs> oh, God, you're going to get mail on that. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> gives them, you know, but, but, you know, truthfully, being around other people is where the judgmentalism comes in. And that's where Ramana helps and where the Rinpoche's help and all the great masters help because they say, what is wrong with being judgmental? You have to make a decision and you have to go one way or the other. Well, in certain situations, you have to make a decision, but Vivica is really what cuts into judgmentalism. Yeah. You have discrimination. discrimination it looks like judgment sometimes. It, 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 it looks like judgment. It feels like judgment, but it isn't. Discrimination is saying, I cannot hang with that person anymore because she or he is, is, is ruining my path. I have compassion for them. I can help them. But it, we've all had this experience of, of having to having to kind of reject someone. It's good if you cannot reject them from your heart, but sometimes you have to reject them given the exact exquisite environmental conditioned box that you're in, you know, and you are in it. I mean, you know. And and he's talking simultaneously. You said before, Argo, about simultaneously being aware of sub ek and yet dealing with the exact circumstances that you've been given by your karma that you've created, and you have to live by it. And if your karma does not include the evolution into unconditional love, then you got some problems, and 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 it will you will attract what's in your heart be yeah. good or bad you know yeah this is all obvious stuff i guess if it yeah. turned off because of this obvious rap i hope you're listening to some great music <laughs> <laughs> okay i want to go on though with this our relationships are divided into three categories friends strangers and enemies yeah why do we like our friends why do we have no interest in strangers why do we hate our enemies the main mm. criteria is how we experience these people in relation to us. Just think about each one of us and all the relationships we have and the way in which we categorize exactly like that. It's a subtle narcissism. 
our life oriented around our self-interest. Period. We tend to think this way without taking responsibility for how we are interacting and co-creating those relationships. They appear like fixed entities as if they are coming at us, but they're not. A friend can become an enemy if they disrespect us. A neutral person can become a friend overnight if they show us spontaneous kindness. These arbitrary designations shift constantly, mostly guided by delusion and karma. Huh? Yeah. Is this great? This is where we can take responsibility for the way we unconsciously construct and react to people based on self-centered delusion, attachment, and aversions because every division we have created between us and another being is a construction of mind. We have a wonderful thread going through our podcast here when I read that and I go, yeah, that's what we're talking about, okay? That's it, worth everything. Absolutely. Deva, Ram Ram. Well, I mean, Shanti Deva, you know, that ain't, you know, it ain't um, chopped liver. But it reminds me of an experience I had about five years ago in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. I gave a lecture at the University of Oklahoma. And the lecture was entitled uh, The Spiritual Underpinnings of the Beatles. They asked me because I wrote the film about the Beatles. So they asked me to go there and they did it. And um, let me not ramble too much on this. But basically what happened was I, w- I walked into an auditorium, which was gigantic. You know, usually, I mean, it was just huge and it was full. There were like six, 700 people there. And um, in the front row was someone who clearly wasn't a student. Uh, he was older, he was dressed in a three-piece suit and he was looking directly at me. And then he left his seat and went to talk to someone who he thought was official. And um, then I, the person came to me as I was waiting to go on and said, Rep, I don't remember his name, but Representative Smith would like to talk to you. Hmm. I thought, oh, God, I'm in Oklahoma. I'm talking about the Beatles as spiritual. They think I'm the devil. Oh, my God. So I actually go out to see him a little away from the wings. And he says, Mr. Silver, uh, I don't think there's anybody on this planet that loves the Beatles more than me. I said, oh, that's lovely. I, I'm so glad you're here. Hmm. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, a state senator. Hmm. Um, I'm a Republican. I said, okay. And I, I didn't know what to say, actually. And then he said, but I'm not doing this. I'm not speaking to you because of the Beatles or because of me. I have to leave for a vote in about 30 minutes. And if I didn't come and tell you this, you would think I was walking out on your lecture. And I've got nothing but incredible interest in what you're talking about, because I happen to agree with you. And I'd love to hear your whole lecture, but I can't. So in precisely 30 to 35 minutes, I'm going to get up (laughs) and walk and walk out. He said, and if I didn't tell you this now, you would automatically feel that I was disapproving of what you were saying. And so is that okay, Mr. Silver? And I said, that's extremely compassionate of you extremely in other words you went through a thought form in your head about whether i would be offended by you while you're walking out of my talk thinking that you didn't like it or worse that you hated me he said yeah that's exactly right sir mm-hmm. and 35 minutes into the lecture or so he got up he waved at me so people wouldn't think even the audience wouldn't think he disapproved he waved at me and smiled and i smiled back and then i told the story 
I said to the audience, that's Representative Smith. And he did tell me before that he has a vote in the, in the chamber and he couldn't stay for my whole lecture. And he was kind enough to come and tell me that he's going to leave in the middle of it, but he actually really enjoys this subject. So I'm telling you that he's a good man. Now think of the dynamics of that. There are a lot of dynamics there, a lot. Because someone else who wasn't involved in that kind of spaciousness would have just said, I'm leaving now and I don't care what the hell that guy on the stage thinks. Particularly if they don't like him. He's clearly a, a, a socialist, communist. Hippie. You know, hippie. And I don't, so this guy, I've never forgotten this because it really was a beautiful thing. More than that, when I left the head of the student committee or whoever hired me to do this, gave me a note. And it was a note from this representative. He'd taken the trouble to write and he said, Dear David, you, uh, so far your talk is extremely inspiring to me and I think completely correct. Uh, my best to you, representative. He even did that. And I felt humbled by this because would I have done that? I don't know, but he did it. And there he is, a Republican from Oklahoma, the most conservative state in the solar fucking system. <laughs> and he had that compassion to do that. Yeah. And in that moment to the age of, I don't know how old I was, 69 or 70 or something, I learned something. You yeah. only learn by what you experience, yeah. you know, and I, I, I learned something that a lot of my liberal friends in New York would never have done that. They would have just proudly yeah. walked out. This I'm is, more important than you. Yeah, this is, yep. And it's Isn't all that about a great me. Story, Raga? Yeah, no, I mean, that's it, the best story I've heard in like three years. It uh, really blew me away. <laughs> Ragu, it blew me away because uh, I was a bit nervous in that auditorium. I was a bit nervous because I don't know Oklahoma that well. I mean, I've worked there, but I didn't know whether people would just boo me. You don't know when you're giving a talk, you know. And I was trying to tell people that within you, without you, tomorrow never knows, uh, across the universe, all these mm. later evolved Beatles songs were the result of mainly John Lennon, but certainly Paul McCartney's, um, and George, of course, of course, George's uh, interest and involvement and eventually submersion in, 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 in Eastern um, mysticism. Yeah, yeah. But I don't like the word mysticism. In the context of what you've asked us to do here, it's not mysticism. This is the most pragmatic and practical of all things, yeah. which yeah. is to cut that line away and say... I'm open, mate. Uh, I'm I'm open. And this kind open. of thing, this kind of story, it 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 gives you faith, straight out faith in human. Okay. It did. And beyond, it, I, I, yeah. I mean, that, that's just a, a fabulous direct example of that. Uh, Shanti Dev also says, violence, lying, grasping, and all our negative karmic constructions follow from the delusion of self preoccupation that mm. mistakes quote unquote me as more important than you or us, and defends what is considered mine. Okay, this contemplation is an analytic reality check on our neurosis, this exchange of uh, that, the four-point exchange of self and other. Consider the matter, not from a faith dogma perspective, but using objective reason. And that's why these, these Tibetan masters are incredible. It's why His Holiness is working with Richie Davidson and others in, in neuroscience, proving out what they have discovered over these centuries, you know, not by anything except this incredible objective reason. Trace all your misery to its source, and you'll find it arises. And this is simple. This is a great 
a method of knowing oneself. You'll, you'll find it arises from self-preoccupation and self-protectiveness within the hallucination of separateness. This reveals the delusion, the root affliction that is driving everything. As we contemplate the limits and repercussions of self-preoccupation, we recognize the biggest terrorist on the planet, okay? The biggest terrorist on the planet is our traumatized, alienated sense of self that needs to satiate its urge for gratification and self-preservation. Reptile brains hijacked by the amygdala are our greatest threat, driving all... Amygdala, is that Amygdala, yeah, amygdala. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. driving all of the suffering on the planet. The neocortex attuned with others through neural circuitry is our greatest ally, responsible for Mm. optimal social redesign. We have to get that over to our friends at uh, Google Empathy Lab that are working on just this kind of thing. Um, so, the, so, and now the finale, okay? The finale, once we've seen through, through this self-preoccupation, okay? So we realize it, we see through it, we can contemplate the benefits of altruism. That one little act that guy did, he came up to you, right? That one little altruistic act is so huge. Look what it's going now. It's going out to, you know thousands and thousands of people doing so flips the rotational axis of our gravitational orbit and the flow of energy invested in self and directs it towards others this is the one that gets me right in the center of my heart as a sangha taught in recognizing the kindness of others and vowing to repay them we reflect on how every success we have had has come through the love and kindness of others. The love and kindness of others. It feels yeah. good to pay back, to give back, pay it forward, keep kindness flowing. It feels amazing to be altruistic, to share love and connect. And connect. Why? Why does it? Because that is what reality is. You are expressing reality. And it's called presence love. Right, it's pretty simple. It really is pretty simple. The 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 mm-hmm. the antidote to this me thing, to the constructed I, to the separation. I mean, it's just he. It's just laid out there, and we know this. The this man did this with you, and it changed your whole day. It changed your whole heart for a second, mm-hmm. and everybody became inclusive. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yes, it's difficult with some of the actors that are out there right now. And and we're going to get lost, and Dave and I get caught all the time. I saw a Facebook post you did with, holy Jesus Christ, that was intense. I hope they don't come after you. What was uh, it? What was it? What was it? I don't uh, remember something that. that it's time now to uh, finally take care of this person, get him out of office. Well, I do believe that. Yeah, of but course, I, yeah, everybody I, believes yeah. it. But, but there you was know. a tone to it that was rather... Um, well, I just I just got sick of it. But you yeah, know, yeah. You know, I know, I, and that's what we're all doing, and it's okay because I think we all have to remember that we are human. 
Okay. I, yeah. And we are I, not Shanti Deva right now, but we no. but we can see the human potential, and we can move in that direction as R- Ramana Maharshi did. He laid down what the shit is going on here. I need to know. I can't go on one more second. He had such tremendous uh, mm. will aligned with God's will that look what happened to that being. And he understood there is no separateness. The I is this separate I. That is not who I am. So, yeah, mm. we're all human. Yeah, I, but, you know, nevertheless, when these great masters uh, articulate this stuff, it, we become more human rather than less human i mean in in the sense that we're human and i know what you mean i got i got angry with with not only trump but his entire crowd because they're they're callous and they seem to be have no regard for this great and amazing um locust mother earth and the just the very um thought of constantly moving against its health her health uh, is so, you know, anger making yeah. because you, you can't help but think, look, we're so lucky. We look at the universe and there may be a billion earth style places, um, but we know we're on this one and the grass is green and the ocean's blue and the sky is blue and, and everything fits and flowers grow and there are certain things we can eat and certain things we can't eat and there's music. And there's beauty and there's love and there's all this stuff integrated together. And yet these people uh, seem to not care about the majority of people and, and only care about some very stupid thing like like um, a competitive me, uh, a me, 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 me thing on a big scale. Yeah, so, big scale. you know, what do you do with that? I mean, you activate and try and and change it around so that more people are less suffering. On the other hand, you know, as soon as we become crazed, we're falling into the trap. There's no question about yeah. that. You know, I mean, I, I, I've watched all these candidates. I'm sure most people have by now, you know, these 23 or 93 or whatever number of Democratic candidates. And one thing that seems to hold them together, which has been brought about by the, um, the environment we're in right now, in the in in 2019 uh these guys and women seem to be talking about trying to do better for a larger number of people and seem to have a humanitarian mission they're not talking about we got to make better cars we got to do bigger things we got they're talking about how do we get it back so that more people are treated so that they have less suffering if it's in our purview or in our um if it's in our power to make things better and not make it so the money that's going to public schools go to, goes to vouchers for charter schools that are owned by people for profit. That seems wrong to me, and I'm willing to say it. However, I understand that in the end, this is just a speck of, a speck of existence. Hmm. But it gives us the opportunity to transform. This is what gives us the opportunity to transform. All of that phenomenon that is going on in our political and all of the uh, the haves and the have-nots, all of the duality, all of the polarization is a gigantic opportunity for everybody. Uh, and of course, it's very difficult to, to see that when you perhaps are really at the mercy in an immigrant camp or in a ghetto mm. or 
you know, then it's then it's another kind of situation that requires the what hopefully some of these people that you're speaking of that are trying to present themselves as somebody who can make changes that would hopefully uh, affect that part of our, you know, many parts of our society, our environment, and so on. Uh, but I, I want to just close out again uh, about, uh, I mean, really, Dave, unless we do this internal work, how can we possibly have any effect on mm. on on any positive effect? I mean, how can we? And at the same time, realize we're human and we're going to screw up all the time because we have... We are pushing away unpleasantness and going gravita- gravitating towards pleasure. And we are involved with protecting ourselves and power and so on. And once we start to get more of a grip on that, dealing with the quote-unquote movie of me, and understand what altruism, compassion, kindness, uh, really the transforming effect you know, and I again, I'll say it for the fourth time. That story of that Republican coming to you in in Oklahoma, it, it's a simple thing too. It's not a big thing, you know. It's not a, like a big. Well, it's a simple, small thing, and that's all we need to do on a day to day basis. All of us, just simple, small acts of mm. kindness, and and do our best not to get in into the reactive tissue of this very oppressive moment in our political system. And, uh, and it's not easy, very, very tough. But, you know, thank God we have these people. Uh, Krishnas closes his kirtans, you know, honoring all those who have come before us and have given us, have been a light on the path for us to follow. And that's what we're trying to do here at Mind Rolling. That's what we've been doing since Dave and I started this years ago. And thanks for coming back, Dave. It's great. It's great. I'm glad the microphone is working. Yeah. They're both working and people can hear this. And, uh, you know, we're just, I mean, I think part of our gig actually is to sort of, uh, it's a question of access that we've had the time and the fortune and it is a great fortune to come into contact with with um, beings who transcend time and space, but also to have read their books and seen their pictures and had their darshan, no matter how remote it might seem. We're lucky. So what do we do with that? Well, we don't go out on the streets and, and start yelling Ramada Maharshi at the bus stop. That ain't going to do anything. But what we can do is, is in, our, in our, I keep calling it exquisite karma, in the interstices of this karma, meeting people, transacting, relating we can exemplify what this person did for us so i mean i would never you know uh, i mean i just consider incredibly fortunate i came into contact with anybody that met maharaji or anybody that knows about ramakrishna or anybody who knows about you know surety surety great saints and teachers Mm. Uh, i came into contact with them so i was lucky enough to learn from those people and um it's not a question of being didactic. You're not actually going out and teaching. You're just being the best you can based on on their wisdoms. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ram Dass puts it best. Radiate 
whatever it is inside you that you've connected with that is not about your self-preservation. That's one way of putting it. So let's all do that. Until yep. next yep. time on Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Net. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And we have our usual plethora of incredible teachers. And uh, we have this wonderful uh, man who's uh, Dave. Oh, you've not listened to him. Talk about a podcast around love. Omid Safi has a podcast on the network. And he is uh, a teacher of Islamic studies in North Carolina. And his hmm. uh, it's radical love. That's what he talks about. So, yeah, pick up on that. Everybody go over there and take a listen. And Dave, you would love that. And also, don't forget the Minjur Rinpoche. Again, to me, this is uh, being able to have Darshan, being in the presence of and through the magic of... Uh, of uh, ch video chat he, there he is so check that out and we shall see you again next time on mind rolling see ya <laughs>